In the drama, Brett and Sharon are heading down a dark and destructive path. The warning signs have been ignored, and they are in the thick of temptation. They're flirting with each other, and they're flirting with adultery. We don't know what happens next. Will they give in to sin, or will they come to their senses and refrain? You know, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments over the last several weeks, And as we come to the seventh commandment, in Exodus 20, verse 14, it says, Do not commit adultery. Well, people tend to get a little uncomfortable. So I thought it might be fun if we talked about Larry's rejected sermon titles. Things I could have called the sermon today, uh, but didn't. But wanted to say to you, but probably shouldn't. So uh, one of the uh, past youth group topics... Uh, that I've talked about is hunks, hotties, and holy bodies. So we, we could have called it that today. Or just plain and simple, keep your pants on. You, you can go home now, I'm done. That, that, was, that was the message. Or the supersonic sex trap. And you're like, wow, that sounds fun. No, did you hear the part where I said trap? Yeah. Or my personal favorite, keep your hands off my wife. For real. We could just call it that. All right, so you might be asking, well, Larry, is this a sex talk? Yeah, it kind of is. Uh, There's no way around it. But you know what? It is more than that. It is, this commandment is really about this. It's about protecting marriage. It's about the value of marriage. And so I want you to take a look uh, up on the screen here. There are two words I want you to remember for the, for the entire morning. And as you leave and you think, hey, what was Sunday about? It was about this. Be faithful. Can you say that with me? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful in these three areas. Be faithful to your marriage. Be faithful to your God. And be faithful with your body. So be faithful. What's the, what's the morning about? It's about that. It's about the value of marriage. It's about honoring God with our bodies in a lot of different ways. So as we jump into the topic this morning, I think it's helpful if we clarify some terms. Sometimes it can be confusing. Well, what exactly is adultery and and how does it compare to other things in the Bible? Well, here's kind of a working definition this morning is this. Adultery, sexual relations between a married person and someone other than his or her spouse. And another scholar put it this way, a willful violation of the marriage contract through sexual relations with a third person. Because when God um, designed marriage, he meant for a man and for a woman that the two would become one, not three, and and not have extra people involved. It's supposed to be this uh, symbol of, of God and the church. It's special, it's sanctified, it's holy. And God in the Ten Commandments is saying, look, marriage must be valued, it must be cherished. So how is that different from, say, uh, sexual immorality? Uh, that appears often in the Bible. Well, that would be more in general, illicit sexual activity just in general. And it could include a wide variety of sexual sin. And uh, it could be between married or unmarried people. And so uh, let's say two teenagers uh, decided they were going to have relations. That wouldn't be called adultery. That would be this, sexual immorality. There's other words for it as well. But God says, look, all sex outside of marriage is, is prohibited. And within marriage, yes, it's wonderful. But God asks us to keep it pure and to be careful because it can be destructive. And if you look here 
um, Unger puts it this way, that adultery causes all kinds of, of destruction. It discourages and, and damages and violates marriage, which God holds very, very high. It breaks down the family unit. And I think that's a huge, huge part of it, that our, our society is built around family and about mom and dad and marriage. And when the family unit breaks down, society starts to break down. And, man, the, the effects of adultery can, can be hard to fathom. And maybe some of you have felt them or experienced them, or maybe you've stumbled, or maybe you've just been around it. But it impacts people, and it has a ripple effect, and it's painful. I don't pretend to grab a hold of all that it means and all that it, that happens in all uh, the emotion involved and the pain involved. But I, I know and I've seen some of the effects in some of our students and some of our own community here. And it is, it is a difficult topic to even speak on today. But continuing on with what Unger has to say, that it leaves the care and education of children um, insecure. It depraves and defiles our minds and hearts as we look at others and start to compare. And, wow, well, what if I was with them instead? And it creates jealousy in people. It creates anger in people. And the bottom line is it ends up being anti-community. Doesn't that make sense? If we steal something that is not ours, we take something that doesn't belong to us, that it it disrupts community. So we're going to take a look at uh, what does the Bible have to say about adultery? We're going to look at three examples. So if you would turn with me in Genesis uh, chapter 39. We're going to take a look at uh, Joseph. Some of you may know the story of Joseph. To bring you up to speed a little bit, uh, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. And over time, he, uh, he comes to a place of leadership. We're going to pick up the story uh, in Genesis 39, starting with verse 6. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Then one day, he went out into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. Pretty wild story. Potiphar's wife, apparently smitten with Joseph. Joseph, man of integrity. Good example for us this morning about this idea of adultery avoided. Joseph holds on to his morals and his values. And you know what we can learn from him this morning? As he runs and flees when temptation is in his face. And I think sometimes we don't do that. Temptation comes and we're like, oh, wow, that's kind of nice. And we linger and we don't flee and we don't run away. And what we can learn from, uh, from Potiphar's wife, I believe, is, look, be content. She was a princess. She was like, her husband was the ruler of the area. She had all kinds of royalty, and yet she wants another. 
And don't be a temptress. Don't tempt others. Male or female, don't do that. Don't take what does not belong to you. You know, there's some tips that we can learn besides just those things from, from Joseph's story. Um, here's just some quick tips to, to avoid adultery and protect your marriage. Romance your spouse. Yeah, I just said have lots of sex. If you're married, um, and all the married guys are like, best sermon ever, <laughs> right? If you're married, you know what? God has meant it for, to enjoy, and that is going to help prolong your marriage. Date your spouse regularly. Take some time. Things get crazy. Things get busy, especially if you've got kids. Set aside time and take your husband or wife out on a date. Compliment each other. Admire one another. Enjoy each other. Offer mutual love and respect for each other. And then face your issues together. Every marriage has got issues. Every family's got drama. But here's what happens. Adultery creeps in when we don't deal with the issues. Communication is huge. Communicate with your spouse. Work through your problems. Talk to one another. And then get help. A lot of times, adultery is the result of a couple who became dysfunctional somehow and stopped communicating or hurt one another, and there's unresolved conflict. And to be able to address it, you're going to need help. You're going to need other people. You're going to need God. You're going to need some good friends and a good community. Are Those were things to pursue. Here are a few things to avoid. Avoid long time apart. If you've got a job that takes you away for long periods of time, I'd be real careful about how much time you spend just away from each other in general, um, traveling and that kind of thing. Avoid a comparison. Looking at other people and saying, oh, well, they're not like this, or oh, they're... Well, that person looks better than you. Or this, this whole comparison game is dangerous, dangerous. Don't do that. Avoid flirting. Some of you have really great relational skills, and you like to talk, and you're a people person, and you, you make friends really easily. And some of you, you cross the line, though. You flirt with the opposite sex, and you're married, and you, you need to stop that, whether it's at the grocery store or at the office or, or even at church. Be careful with your conversation that way. And I would say be careful with your affection. If you're married, I would not hug and kiss and, and be like that with the opposite sex. You know, maybe a kiss on the cheek or something, but don't kiss any other lady or, or man on the lips. That's, that's promoting jealousy, okay? You're just asking to get kicked, okay? You are. Um, but I think in our culture, sometimes we forget, and we, we can be a little bit free with our affection at times. I'd say avoid being alone with the member of the opposite sex. If you're, if you're, even if you're not married, it's going to create, it's going to move you toward temptation. Avoid being alone together. I would say if you need to meet with someone of the opposite gender, meet in a public location. And, and by all means, don't date them. Don't do anything that looks like a date. So a man and a woman who aren't married going to dinner at a restaurant looks like a date. Um, arrange some other way to meet or, or if, you've, if it's a work thing or whatever or have a third person there or do it in a group if you've got uh, things that you need to work on together. But avoid what looks like a date. And then this last one, avoid hiding from your problems. 
if you hide from your problems and you don't deal with the issues, you're going to open the door for temptation to creep in. All right, Joseph gives us a good example of how to avoid adultery. So now let's take a look at someone who, uh, who gave in to temptation uh, to sin. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 8. Uh, this is uh, adultery discovered. I call it the guilty woman. You may know her better as the woman caught in adultery. She uh, goes unnamed in the Bible. This is an encounter that uh, she has with Jesus. Take a look at John chapter 8, starting with uh, verse 1. It says, Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. and the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Now go and leave your life of sin. That would be quite embarrassing if you're the lady being caught, being brought out public among all these religious people in the crowds or whatever, and... The Old Testament law was they had permit, it was a capital crime. So she was going to be killed. And they're testing Jesus with this question. And I think we learn, we learn from this story, which is pretty awesome, that Jesus offers this amazing compassion and forgiveness, and he doesn't condemn the lady. There's speculation about what he wrote on the ground. I don't know. But it was enough to let people feel convicted in their own hearts that they were sinful as well, and so they walked away. And from, from the lady's perspective, I would believe Jesus' interaction with her was refreshing. And I would say to you, if you have stumbled, if you have committed adultery, that God offers forgiveness for you, that Jesus doesn't condemn you, that he died for you and for those painful sins. Now, other people may have a harder time forgiving you, and it may take time, but as far as your connection with God, I think it's cool that the Bible's not afraid to talk about adultery. It's all throughout Scripture. Um, and then when we give in to temptation, what advice does Jesus give to the lady? What principle or thing? He says, go and leave your life of sin. Sin no more. And I would say to you this. If you are in a relationship that is not your marriage and you're married, end it now, today. End it today. Do whatever it takes you, you make that happen and you end that relationship that is not honoring God today. S- just stop. And, and you go to Christ and you get on your knees and you, you ask forgiveness and you, and you seek him and you ask for restoration. And I believe Jesus will give that to you. It won't be easy. It'll be difficult. But the idea is stop, stop sinning. 
Powerful words, difficult words. I would urge you to give God your embarrassment. Give God your humiliation, your anger, your pain. If you are the offender, that, that's hard, and you're going you're gonna to have some consequences with that. If, if you've been a, a victim of, of adultery in, in whatever aspect, I would urge you to avoid revenge. It would be natural to want retribution. It would be natural to want to seek out and harm those who've harmed you. And I would urge you to say, man, surrender that difficult pain to God and, and don't take action on your own against those who've hurt you. That's a hard one. I don't pretend to understand how that would feel. I don't pretend to know the emotion that would go with that. But I would stand up here and say to you as a friend and as a follower of God that God wants us to honor marriage and seek forgiveness. All right, so we're going to transition to, uh, to our third example. So if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. This is uh, an example of David, probably the most famous, actually, for his sin, which is kind of weird. Um, you may be familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. This is 2 Samuel 11. We're going to start in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. David's the king. Not sure why he decided to get up that night, but uh, David's first mistake was this. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Where are kings supposed to be in the springtime? Off to war with their men at the armies. Instead, he stayed back in Jerusalem. Have you ever gotten in trouble for not being where you're supposed to be? Yeah. Okay, David opens the door for temptation, okay? Walking around on his roof. He's got a high palace. I'm not exactly sure why the woman was bathing outside, but I'm imagining that uh, she had privacy in her, her area of her home, right? And I'm imagining David up high is able to see over the walls of everybody's home. So somehow he's got a good vantage point. He lusts after her. Then he doesn't just lust after her. Then he invites her over. He sleeps with her. Later, he tries to cover it up. And he invites her husband home from, from battle, hoping that he can cover it up that way. And that doesn't work. So he ends up sending Uriah to the front lines of the army in the battle where Uriah dies. David then essentially committing murder. He's gone from lust to adultery to murder. And uh, things are getting worse. The community is being affected by what he's doing. Okay? And then a good friend comes to him named Nathan. 
And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 12. If you just turn a page there. Chapter 12, starting in verse 13. With a lot of tact and an interesting analogy, Nathan comes to the king, fearful yet feeling like God has pressed on his heart to confront David. After this, then David said in verse 13 to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. I like David and I hate David. I like him because he's a man after God's own heart. I hate him because he's stupid and he makes bad choices. But he's a good example to us. And what I do love about this story is that he comes around and David confesses. He confesses. And he realizes what he's done is wrong and not right on many, many levels. And yet there are still consequences. That's a pretty heavy penalty that the son now is going to die because of David's sin, right? Now that's going to affect a lot of people, right? You know, it's cool. It doesn't just end there. In Psalm 51, we get a sneak peek at David's heart. You don't need to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. At the top of the psalm, in Psalm 51, it says a little note. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay, that's the context for this. This song that he wrote, it's actually a community lament. I think that's pretty appropriate. When adultery occurs, I think the community needs to lament. There's pain. There's, there's difficulty. It, it affects a lot of people. But here's the heart of David after he's been confronted by his sin. He says this in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And he goes on to say in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I get the sense in that psalm that he really was contrite. He really was repentant. He really felt bad for violating God's commands. Now, i got to be honest. David, king, right? He's got all kinds of women. And yet he chooses another one and steals this man's wife. And it, it frustrates me. It angers me that David would act in such a way. But I do appreciate the heart of him to come back around and say, all right, I screwed up and I messed up. And communicating that to the community, I think, is a big deal. So what can we learn from David? Uh, This, that our sin has consequences, big ones. People died because of his sin. And we don't sin in a vacuum. Sometimes we think our sin is secret. But this type of sin, adultery, is not a secret sin. You might feel like you're trying to keep it a secret. But over time, it's going to affect a wide, wide spread of people and maybe ways that we haven't considered. But again, remember this. The whole point is be faithful. Say that with me. Be faithful. And God says protect and value marriage. So if you're single and you're like, I'm not married, what does this topic have to do with me? I would say celebrate the marriage that you see in your life around you. Celebrate the marriage around you, your parents' marriage, the people around you, the people that you know, that we need to honor it much, much more. I think our society kind of tears down marriage and opens the door for lots of temptation. So if we're going to take a few tips from, from the story, the, all three stories that we've read, really, and, uh, and the life of David a bit, 
You need a friend like Nathan, right? You need some accountability in your life. Whether you screwed up or not, you just need accountability in your life. And I would urge you, find a good friend that can ask you tough questions about your marriage, about your behavior, about your dating life, and get some accountability. I would say that we need help, we need counseling, we need friends, we need good people in our life to keep us on track. I would say if you've screwed up or have been the victim of adultery, that you need to seek restoration on both sides, as hard as that may be, as difficult as that may be. And I would say you need to fight for your marriage. God says, this is so important. I want you to protect it. Then you need to battle for it and fight for your marriage. If you're in that process, if that has been your life, if you've experienced adultery on some form, healing takes time. And the people involved are going to take time to process it, to feel it, to communicate it, to be angry about it, to feel shameful over it, whatever it might be. Healing is going to take time. And to be patient with your spouse and, and with the people around you. But I believe restoration can happen. I believe God is a big God that can handle big sin and that people can be healed and restored over time. All right, we looked at three examples from the Bible. Uh, we tried to learn from them. I'd like to transition to some practical uh, ways that we can live this out. So this uh, first principle, this under be faithful to your marriage idea, is this principle of faithfulness. In Hebrews uh, 13.4, it says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So be faithful to your marriage. Say that with me. Be faithful to your marriage. That was kind of lame. <laughs> Let's try it again. Say, be faithful. To your marriage. Thank you. All right, here's the next one. Be faithful to your God. So I'm used to working with teenagers. We have a good time, don't we? I yell stuff. You used to yell stuff back. Yeah, it's fun, right? Got to warm you guys up a little bit. All right, so this principle of love. Okay, the first one was this principle of faithfulness. This next one, principle of love found in Romans 13. Some of the guys who've taught before me have shared this before, but for the commandments against adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and any other commandments are all summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no wrong to anyone. So love satisfies all of God's requirements. Can I be honest? Adultery is not loving. Taking someone else's husband or wife, not loving. And when God says, love your neighbor, he doesn't say, make love with your neighbor. He's saying, love them. Okay? Are you with me? Good. All right, so say, be faithful. Be faithful with your body. This principle is good for anyone. Married, unmarried, young, old, doesn't matter. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee, like Joseph. Run away, leave your coat behind, and just get out of the house kind of a thing. All their sins a man commits are outside of his body. But you who sin sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know? Remember that? Do you not know that your body is a... Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God 
with your body. We give our lives to Christ. Our bodies don't belong to us any longer. They belong to Christ. You marry someone, your body now belongs to them. So we cannot share that with other people. So this principle of, uh, of honor. Here's the next one. Jesus brings it all home. If you think you're exempt from adultery, Jesus says, ah, 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 wait a minute. And he says this in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, woman, doesn't matter. If you've lusted in your mind after anyone or anything, God says, you're guilty. You're guilty. So in a room like this, pretty sure we're all guilty. And our culture does not help you not lust. The clothes they're selling at the store don't help you not lust. The entertainment they're providing at the movie theater, not going to help you not lust. So what does that mean? Well, we could do a whole other sermon on lust. I don't really want to. But I will say this, you guys, I'm guilty. I, I struggle with lust. You struggle with lust. And uh, here, here are some tips just because just we need them, okay? As we try to figure out this topic, we've got to grab a hold of uh, identifying your own triggers. Where do you lust the most? Maybe in cell group this week, you break up guy and girls, and you meet, and you talk, and you say, hey, where do you struggle with lust the most? Is it... At a certain location? Is it a certain time of the day? Is it a certain form of entertainment or literature or whatever it might be? So let me give you some examples. Maybe it's uh, the internet, okay? Maybe you struggle on the internet. And I would say this, you need to put filters in your life. So if you've got Wi-Fi at home, you can set it up to filter Wi-Fi for the entire house for its content. If you've got Wi-Fi on a mobile device, okay, you can go into your settings and I've talked to the students about this, and you can set uh, the settings for that, for, for what you'll allow yourself to look at. You know the default on a phone or an iPad is? It's 17 plus. It's mature content. It's illicit whatever. You've got to go in and change that stuff, or it's just going to let you see everything, right? Maybe it's on those devices. Maybe it's an app. Maybe you've got an app on your phone or your device that you shouldn't have. I would go in and turn off 17 plus stuff. Yeah, I know you're an adult, so... Uh, I turned it off on my phone because I don't want that temptation. I don't want that there. And that might not even be the, the best. Maybe maybe you need to back it down even more, you know. Maybe it's movies. Maybe you need to be more careful about your Netflix choices. You know, you can go online on Netflix, and in your profile, you can set what you'll allow your family to watch. I would do that. Do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. Um, maybe, maybe movies and media isn't your thing. Maybe it's uh, romance novels. Maybe you like to read books, and you get wrapped up in those stories of other people's affairs. I would say, be careful what you read. It's going to lead you down a path. And, and if that's a trigger for you, find out what your triggers are. Maybe your trigger is social media, and you get wrapped up in the stories on Facebook, and you get wrapped up into people's lives. And I would say, be careful. Start reading everybody's stuff, and you can get emotionally attached to, to people in your friends list, you know? This might be a good exercise, and it might be super awkward. Maybe you have your husband or wife look at your friends list, and they get to edit it. You know, why does your husband or wife have 200 female friends or male friends that, like, I don't know, you're just, I would be cautious. Um, 
Who you text? Who's in your contact list? Why are those people in your contact list? Do you really need them? Or is it an avenue to flirt? So, again, just find out what your triggers are. Talk to a friend. Maybe it's a location. Maybe when you go to the beach or the pool or to the mall. Or maybe it's at work. So you find out what those are. Maybe it's magazines that come in the mail. Maybe it's the swimsuit edition. Maybe it's something else. I would say find out what those triggers are, and then you're going to build. That's the next part. Set up, set up boundaries around it. So set up limits. How much time you'll allow yourself to look at that stuff. What kind of content you'll be allowed to look at. Uh, people that are going to ask you about it. Put, a, put guardrails around ways that you can lust so that you don't commit lust and, and adultery. Does that make sense? This isn't new. We try to do this with other types of sins too. I think this one sometimes we get lazy. I get lazy. We don't turn on the setting. We don't do the filter. We don't look away. So I would urge you, you guys, as a group, can we just tighten it up? Tighten it up. Tighten up our minds because I think that's what this is about. Lust is a, is a mind thing. But marriage, man, let's lift it up and celebrate it. So identify some triggers, set up some boundaries, put up some limits, get some about accountability, meet with some friends. And may we pray that we could all have pure thoughts and pure marriages, you know? So I want to close with this one more time. Be faithful. Oh, say it with me. Be faithful. Be faithful. Really loud. Be faithful. Don't we want people to be faithful? Don't you want people to be faithful to you? I do. And I want to be faithful to my wife. And I want to be faithful to my God. And I want to be faithful with my body. But I struggle, and so do you. So together, as a community of people, let's do that. To be faithful to our marriage, to be faithful to our God, and to be faithful with our body. Would you pray with me? God, this is a hard one. And I don't pretend to understand how it feels if there are people in the room who've experienced this on a deep level. But God, I know that you offer healing and help for the hurting. So God, I ask for that. I pray for healing for those marriages who may be struggling. I pray for hope for those couples who may be feeling despair. God, I pray for restoration. I pray that anybody in the room who who may be in a relationship right now that they shouldn't be in, that you would give them strength and courage to end it today. For those who have been wounded, I, I pray, God, that they would come to you with their grief, that they would bring their hurt before you. And God, would you mend them? Would you heal them? God, we pray for our church body. Would you protect marriage? Would you protect couples? And God, would you provide safe and loving homes for for kids? God, would you guard our minds from lust? We are all guilty, and we need your help. God, would you help us to, to tighten things up, to put filters and boundaries and limits in our life? Not because we want to be legalistic about it, but because we want to honor you and we want to value this whole idea of marriage. 
God, would you help us to celebrate marriage in other people's lives? And God, I thank you for my own family, my own parents, and the, the example of marriage they have for me. God, I appreciate my wife and love her deeply and ask that you would protect our marriage as well. God, would you do that for our staff and for all of our people in this church? God, would you do it for everyone that's even here this morning? And would you even help our young people honor you in their dating relationships? Uh, God, none of us are exempt. We ask for your strength and your wisdom and your help. And we pray through the name of Jesus. Amen.